Okay, good morning. Today's daf is daf Vov. Today's shoes the Ilu Nishmas Shlomo Ben Aaron. May his neshama have an aliyah and may his memory be a blessing. And today's shir is also for Rafu Shleim of, Yitz, of Yitzchak Yehuda Ben Miriam and Chana Chaika Bas Boba Michla. May they both have a complete and speedy recovery. May we hear good news very soon. Um, yeah, so we're up to the fourth, fifth last line of Hayamud Bay's 5B, Omar of Papa. But just to get us back in the flow of the Sukhi, remember we were discussing marking graves. I mean, I always find it incredible. It's something that we're totally oblivious to is uh, Tuma. And here, like the Gomorrah, at every, every time it comes up, the Gomorrah has long, lengthy discussions and we see how meticulous and particular they were and careful they were about um, Tuma and Tahara, impurity, impurity. And again, in the context of their lives, it made sense because the, the farm it was very, very agricultural-based uh, society. And there were farmers and there were Kohanim who were dealing with Truma. And there were people going to and from the base Amigdash who had to worry about being Tar and Tomek. Kohanim eating Kodshim, um, etc. All these things, you had to be careful that they did not become Tomei. So, so many of them lived the lives of, let's call it, perfect... Tahara in being very meticulous with these halachas and obviously if with mistakes and stuff it, there were um, problems. Eat, you know, you touch truma while tome, then all the truma becomes tome and it's and uh, well firstly you're not allowed to do it on purpose, but secondly in a way it, it gets ruined and you know, and then only allowed to you're not allowed to eat it anymore. So that so that that's why um, there is this focus and this emphasis on uh, on Tumantahara, on and we're discussing marking graves. Now, yesterday we were discussing a base hapras. Now, remember, we mentioned there were two types of base hapras. The usual, the first type and usual type is a field where there was a grave in it and, the, and it subsequently got plowed over. Now, interesting, we'll notice the Gemara is not going to assume that someone maliciously plowed over, but for whatever reason, that maybe they were motivated to save their trees in their field or something, but generally we, but. Yeah, a field which had a kever in it, a grave in it, and it got plowed over. Now we're worried that it's shattered and there's shards of bone all over the field. Now in that case, there's no concern of Tumas Ohel. Remember we mentioned there are various types of way that a maze can transmit Tuma. Shards of bone, if they're big enough to transmit Tuma through being moved or um, touched, they're not necessarily going to transmit through Ohel. And they have to be a majority of the skeleton or the whole spine or the whole skull, etc. So shards of bone are not going to transmit tumor through oil. That's the one type. The second type of a base apras is where there's a grave in the field. You're just not sure where it is. So now that does transmit tumor's oil. So remember, we were discussing yesterday marking a field, a base apras. And we came along and we said it must be only marking the second type of base apras. The second type where there is a tumma, a grave lost in the field. Because if there isn't a grave lost in the field, then someone walking through that field can look and see the shards of bone, and they won't touch them. And we discuss ways to get through the field. We, we touched on ways to get through the field without uh, worrying about it. And buried shards of bone aren't going to transmit too much. So you don't have to worry. But if there's an actual grave in the field, then you would mark it because... You don't want someone walking through that field because if they step over the grave 
or they walk under the same tree as the grave is under, they would become Tomei. Um, now, the difficulty was we brought a price which seems to say that there was this that they did mark a plowed a plowed base price, which as I just pointed out, why would they mark it? It doesn't transmit to us or help. So Rav Pope explained the cases where they lost the grave, they, they knew there was a grave there, a lost grave in that field, but the issue here is, was it subsequently plowed? So it was a field where there's a suspicion of whatever reason you will see why you suspect it's been plowed. So now do you, do you treat it as a field with a lost grave in, either that you have to be careful of Ohel, or do you treat it as a base apras that was just plowed and you don't have to be careful for Ohel? So that's what where we stepping in with Rav Papa. So Omer Rav Papa, ki tanyahi besodesh oved bok kever The case was where there was a field with a grave lost in it, so they marked off the field, so no one walks through it unknowingly. So, and then, as I pointed out, that but subsequently there was a concern that it was plowed over. So he says If there field trees in that field, then you can be confident that the grave was plowed over. If there were no trees, then you can be confident that there is that the grave is still lost in it. It wasn't plowed over. So the Gemara is just going to challenge why should trees mess up the, the way we view the whole field? He says, Maybe the trees are just in the middle of the field and that's where it was plowed. And the outside of the field was left intact. And that's actually where the grave was lost. So just because there are trees in the field, you can't ride off the whole field and say that there's no too much oil in it. And as I pointed out, that this is likely because he's more granted. He's definitely, we can assume he's going to plow by the fields, because by the trees, because the trees will die if he doesn't. And trees are very valuable. Um, he's not going to... Um, so he'll plow by the trees and leave the rest of the field unplowed, and maybe that's where the grave is. So could Omar Ula know, like Ula explained elsewhere, where the trees are on the boundary. The trees on the boundary. The, the, the grave is not going to be planted outside the trees in the Rishus Arabim. So it must be planted, we have to suspect it's planted amongst, amongst the trees, and therefore the grave got um, got plowed over. Oh, but then top of Dafvov, maybe the tumor is on the inside and these trees are just around the perimeter. So granted, we can assume he plowed around the trees. Maybe in the middle of the field, the trees are intact. So Gamaran says, no, it's where the trees are dispersed throughout the whole field. Then you have to be concerned. Then there's a significant chance, and it seems maybe there are hints and illusions that he's definitely plowed through the field, and therefore you don't treat it as a base hapras that the grave was lost, rather you treat it as a base hapras that was plowed over. Again, the main difference is do you have to be worried about Tumas Ahel? Um, then we say another answer. Remember, you're not going to distance the grave, the, the markers too far from the tumor so that you don't ruin to you don't want to lose out land of Eretz Yisrael because remember when you mark a grave no one's ever going to use the land in between and by that marking so if you mark off a whole field that's what you're concerned about so once there are trees and it's sewn by the trees and the marker is by the trees on the outside of the field we can assume that they were that they plowed by the trees and 
once we know this guy has disregarded, is not careful to plow the grave, to plow the part where the trees are, because, where the grave is very likely to be because the outside of the field by the trees is marked. We can also assume he's plowed the rest of the field because he's someone who doesn't care about plowing where there's a grave. And once we have, and once there's that, well, then you can assume, as we said, once you're assuming that he plowed the whole field, then uh, you can treat it like a base apras, which has a mace lost in. Okay, now we're going to go back to a point we mentioned in the Brisey. Uh, yesterday, so Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says, now this is, Rabbi Yehuda says, you assume that there's a grave lost in the field, uh, you can't assume that the field is plowed over just because there are trees or something like that. You can't, you, you, so again, when can you assume there's a grave in the field? Until there's an elder, an elderly sage, or a young sage, who can verify that the field was plowed. Because not everyone's really expert in the matter. People get confused. So you have to rely on the Now, Omar Abai, Abai makes a deduction. He says, If there's a young scholar in the town, you can assume that everything's done under his auspices or everything should be done under his auspices. I'm not sure the exact teaching is it saying that everything must be done under his auspices or he should try to take control and make sure that things are done correctly. But either way, even if you have a young scholar, you have a young Rav in town and you wouldn't necessarily expect him, you know, he's uh, almost still a yeshiva bocha, you wouldn't expect him to be on top of things. So actually, no, Shmami, now we see from here that you can expect him to be on top of things. He should be on top of, I guess, the base apras. Are they marked correctly? How's the mikvah? How, you know, all these things you can expect from the young scholar. Okay, Omar of Yehuda, now we're going back to the, discussing the marking of graves. So Omar of Yehuda, Matzah, even if you find a stone, now remember, up until he, earlier on yesterday, we mentioned if you find the lime directly on the ground, then you always assume that it's a little bit of a distance from the gra- from the grave because or the mace because remember you don't want someone to be walking along the ground and be right on top of it and then they stand on it. Um, <coughs> so that's that's where. But here we're discussing where there's a stone, so there's a proper marker, so a person will see it from a little bit back. So Motsa Evan Mutsuyanes, if you find a stone mark, I there was lime poured on it. In my mind yesterday when I was thinking of this, it's kinda of like you know the lines of a soccer field. They pour that white I mean white paint. But here they would pour white lime on the things to mark them. <coughs> so Omar so if you find this mark, Tartehom Tome, under the stone is Tome. Shtayim, if you find two stones, im yesh Two stones that are marked. If there's lime poured between the two stones, between them is also um, tome. But if not, then between them is tahor. It's two separate graves as opposed to one longer grave. You're telling me that this is even where it's not plowed between the two. Says for time we've got a browser where plowing between the two stones is critical. If you find one stone that is marked underneath it is Tome. If you find two marked stones, if it's plowed between them, if the area between the two stones is plowed, you can assume it's Tahor. Um, I, and it seems for two reasons. One is if there was a mace that was 
the plow has probably moved it. And also, the plow, by the fact that he plowed between these two marked stones, shows that he wasn't concerned that there was a mace there. I, think, I feel that's a better answer, but either way. So if there was plow, plowing between the two stones, by name Tor. Me'im love, by name Tome. If not, between them is Tome. So we have a contradiction. The previous price, uh, or have you heard it taught, that if there's no lamb between the two stones, it's tar. This price it teaches that there has to be no lines and no lamb. Uh, sorry, no lamb between the two and plowed between the two. You need both factors to say that between them is tar. So the Gemara answers, Omar Apopara Apopara says, Here is where the lamb has was poured on top of the stones and it goes a little down towards each other. I how I understand it is there's it's not like a solid pouring of lime between the two stones. It's it's a mixture of it's more like a little pieces of lime. So now you're not sure did it kind of just come off from the stones or did he actually pour lime between the two just very thinly? I did the person who was drawing the lines on the soccer field get bored and not do such a clear job of marking? Or this that you see a, a patch of uh, the paint, is it, is, it, you know, is it there because sorry, he didn't do a clear marking, he got a bit lazy? Or is it there just uh, spilt from uh, his container that he was pouring the lime from and it's not essential? So that's where. If it's plowed between them, then it's torah. You can say that the plow knocked it off the rocks where it um, dripped off and then scattered it between the two rocks. So that's why. But if it hasn't been plowed, Sid the Baini Baini, who Tome, you view it as actual lamb between the two rocks, and uh, it would be Tome. So again, the key point there is, how did this very faint or spread out the sprinkling of lamb get there? Was it knocked off the stones that it dripped down and spread there through a plow? Okay, then it would be Tome in between, because it's two separate stones with lamb on. If there's no... If, if there's no reason to suspect it's there, except that he actually poured it there, even though it's very thin, it would still be Tomei. Okay, carrying on with the halachas of marking. Um, if you find one of the boundaries of the field marked, it is Tomei, and the rest of the field is Tohor. Interesting enough, their field were often, the boundary was often an indent in the land, like a ditch. Or uh, built up on the side, not like a fence between the two. So if you found that, uh, let's call it ditch painted, you can assume there's a, a mace under it. But the rest of the field would be tahar. Um, and then so to Shnaim, if you find two of the boundaries marked, Haim to Maim, Bukolasore Kula Tahir, and the boundaries would be Tome, but the rest of the field is Tahir. Shloisha, if three of the boundaries are marked, Haim to Maim, Bukolasore Kula Tahir. Arba, if you find four marked, Haim Tahir, and then you assume the boundaries are Tahir, Bukolasore Kula Tome, and the rest of the field is Tome. To Oma Mar, as Mar said, Aimar Chikin Sil Mi Mokom Tuma, Shalola Hafsid, as Eretz Yisrael. You're not allowed to make the, the border, the markers too far so that you don't ruin Eretz Yisrael. I that yesterday we learned when you're just pouring lime on the ground, you move it a little back. 
um, not far, but a little back. So if the if the whole field has a marker around it, you assume that the marker is actually Tahar. But the field is Tome. Okay, now we go back to our Mishnah. And we said, af You go the based in basically the you know, the Rashi the Rashi Kisvayad here points out it's probably actually meant to be on the mit on the Mishnah, but he points out that the Yoitzin, they go out, implies that that is when the set time for them to go out is. And that's the important point for this point is, on Cholomoyed Pesach is when they would send these workers out. Um, so, Va'akilayim Bechulu Shalmoy Nafkina, they go out. Um, you're telling me that they sent out to go check for Kilayim on Cholomoyed Pesach? It says, very minute, there's a contradiction. This we, we saw, yeah. On the first of Adar, you make announcements that everyone must start getting their shkolim in, and about kilayim. On the 15th of Av, you read the Megillah in walled cities, you go out and repair the roads, and to fix the streets. And to measure the mikvahs, I a lot of over the rainy season. Remember, Nisan, Adar to Nisan is the end of the rainy season. So a lot of like uh, rubble, except and mud might have flown into the mikvahs, and a bit small, so you have to dig, uh, clear it out and then measure that there's the right amount, etc. And they do all the things that are necessary for the public. And they mark the graves. And this is the important one for us. And they go out. They're sent out to go and check whether, the, whether there's Kilayim growing. So now we have a contradiction. Our Mishnah said they sent out on Cholamoid Pesach to go check if there's Kilayim growing in the fields. Remember, Kilayim is two different plants growing together. Two different uh, foods. Um, and this one, this, this Mishnah or Brisa said that they go out on the 15th of Arar. It's actually about a month earlier. So Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Yossi, Bar Chanina, we have two explanations. Chad Omar, one of them said, Kan b'b'chir kan ba'ofil. Yeah, there's early crop and late crop. I Sometimes it starts to grow earlier, and that's what they would go out on the 15th of Arar to check for, and sometimes it starts to grow later, or something they would actually plant it earlier or later. And, uh, and therefore, that's why they have these two dates of going out. For Chad Omar, can be zroim, can be yorokos. And the other one says, no, it depends on the type of plant. Here's with grains, they would go out much earlier. And here's with vegetables, which were planted a bit later. So they would go out later. So that's why we have two dates when the agents were sent out. Um, were sent out to investigate. Then it says, Omar Asi, Omar Rabbi Asi said in the name of Rabbi Yochan, Loi Shonu. I remember Loi Shonu means it's not taught. So what, 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 what when we limiting that, what ruling are we limiting? This, that they would delay to send out agents to the 15th of Adar. Again, we're saying, you don't send out the agents to check on Kilayim before the 15th of Adar or before the, the Cholamoid Pesach. Says why well, that is only Nikar, where the sprouting has is not started to be recognizable. Aval Nitzan Nikar, if the sprouting has started, Alem, then they would send them out earlier. I so it's more a guideline, and the general practice would be to send out the agents to or the the what's it, the town council 
would send out their their workers to go check on Kilayim would be around that around um, generally at the fifteenth of Adar and the and Cholamoid Pesach. But if they saw that plants were starting to grow already, they would send them out earlier. Now, why do they go out specifically on Cholamoid? Why doesn't Beisden send them out three days earlier before Pesach? Or a week later after Pesach? Why do they send them out on Cholamoid? So, Amr Biyakov, Amr Biyakov said, name of Gabon. Because it's cheaper to pay workers on Cholamoid. Why are workers cheaper on Cholamoid? Because they're not allowed to be doing anything else. You know, if there's competition, well, the Beisden will pay me X to go and check Kilayim, but I could get a better job doing something else. In the Beisden, I'm going to have to pay more. But on Cholamoid, no one's allowed to be working anyway, so you give them job. We'll discuss it shortly, but Tosos is going to ask, but how don't we? You're not allowed to work on Cholamoid. So we'll come to that Tosos, but let's just finish off the suit. Yeah, so it's cheaper for Beisden to pay. It says, Omar Abzvid, we learn from here, Ki Avina Luhuschar. When do we give this schar? So, sorry, where do we pay them from? Mitrumas halishke yavina lehu. We pay them from the trumas halishke from the trumas um, halishke. We we pay them from the shkolim, from the leftover shkolim. The is alkatayteh mididu yavina lehu. My nafkeloy mina because if they paying if the Again, these agents are sent out to check if there's kilayim. The farmers should be doing that. So if they extract the money from the farmers, what difference does it make whether the workers are charging a cheap price or an expensive price? Call come at the boiler who whatever they ask will pay them. Must be, but the fact that the, they're concerned that they must get the cheapest price is because they're paying from the based-in funds. So that's the, that's the source. Okay, we see that. And Tosfos point out that there were many things that they actually used the Trumas Halishka, the Shkolim for. Sometimes it might only be the leftover Shkolim from the previous year, but that's what they would use Shkolim for. Don't know if you remember in the Mesecha Shkolim, I think it comes up in the end of Tzubas as well, the Artosha say the end of Tzubas, that there are many things that they would. And all oh, the question is, aren't they supposed to be used for the communal offerings? So based in when they're collecting the Shkolim, basically say we're collecting it on condition that we can use it for these other needs. But now back to the interesting question that we asked. Tosos asked, uh, asked, but how can workers hire themselves out to work on Cholomite? You're not allowed to work. So one answer Tosos give, but this only works with one opinion, is we're going to see, it's, I guess it's in about a week, that you only, someone who doesn't have food is allowed to work. So maybe that's specifically who based in would hire. But there's an opinion that even if you don't have food, you're not allowed to work on Cholomoy. You're not allowed to hire yourself out to work on Cholomoy. So how could he allow it? So Tosfus answer, Tosfus say, that for mitzvahs, they can permit it. Are you right? Generally, you're not allowed to work. But here it's for a mitzvah, so you're allowed to work for a mitzvah and obviously receive payment as well. Now that's, and the base Yosef actually brings that, that you're allowed to accept payment to do a mitzvah. The Taz challenges this. He says, firstly, we have the Ramor that brings a, the Rivash that you're not allowed to do malacha at all, with no exceptions, never mind getting paid for it. Um, okay, and then the Taz makes a slight diuk. But he asks even stronger is that 
Later on, the Shulchan Aruch says you're not allowed to write even one letter and even to fix a Sefer Torah. Now we know it's forbidden to keep a Sefer Torah that has mistakes in. You have to fix it as soon as you notice. So, how, so if you're allowed to do something for a mitzvah, why can't you fix the Sefer Torah? And therefore the Taz says he doesn't really like this answer. He says that maybe the Kilayim is actually considered a communal need. It's not for the, because it's a mitzvah, but because it's a communal need. I was trying to think what the communal need is to check kilayim. Maybe it's a responsibility of the community which makes it a communal need, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. But that's the taz. The taz isn't happy with this answer because you find very clearly it seems we don't see the rivash. Other rishonim bringing this as a leniency just because it's for a mitzvah. All of a sudden, you're allowed to get paid to do it. Um, another answer given um, is that no. This that we say you're not allowed to work at all would be a, a uman, an expert. And that's why fixing the Tefer Torah, you need the sofa, you need the expert. And that would be a problem. But a uh, non-expert would be allowed to. And that's who they send out to check for Kilaim. Okay, let's carry on. Now of Adkama. And how much? How much foreign growth in this field? How much, uh, I don't know, vegetables growing in your wheat field, etc., is considered kilayim. So, Amar of Shmuel by Yitzchak, Ka'oisu like we learned, Kol Seya Sheyesh for Rova, Zera, Mimin Echod Yima. If you have um, one Rovaya, I, uh, Rashi points out, that's 124th of the Seya. So, if there's a Seya amount of plants growing, and you have 124th of it is kilayim, this is far, foreign growth, then you have to minimize, you have to dig it up. Now there's a question, um, it seems Yimach, you can just take out the foreign growth or, or take out some of the foreign growth so that it's less. Okay, one question is why, if there's less, how does it help? What's the mechanism? Is it through beetle or some other form? But let's go on. But don't we have a price which teaches that they instituted that they would make the whole field hefker? And they wouldn't say it's good enough to just take out some of the... Kilayim. They say that you have to make the whole field hefker. It says, No, here is before the takona and here is after the takona. The tanya, as we learned in Abraisa. At first they would uproot and throw the, the what they pulled out before the animals of those who owned the field. And the the owners of the fields were double happy. One is that they got a free weeding. When these agents of Beisdin came and they saw the kilaim, they took out the kilaim. Oh, they weeded the field for the farmers. He was happy for that. And second thing is they threw it to the animals to eat. So they got it. So that so it was all too convenient for them. They were double happy that the, when the agents would come and uproot their kilaim. So therefore, therefore they instituted that they would uproot the Kilayim and throw it in the public streets so that the owner of the field doesn't get benefit from it. They still had a huge simcha. That their fields were weeded for free. So they instituted that the whole field became hefker. So amazing. When, when the basic turns out at the end, by the final takona, when based in agents would go around and they would find a field with kilayim in it, 
I would declare, and obviously with the right measurement, it seems of a row vizera, um one twenty-fourth of the of a sayer out of each sayer. They would declare the whole fields hefker. Okay, there's a little bit of a discussion. It doesn't become hefker automatically. Do they specifically have to spot it and declare it? How? Um, but either way, the whole field would become. They would declare the whole field hefker, which means that anyone could then go and pick from the field for themselves. Okay, let's go on to the new Mishnah, the second Mishnah of this Perek. Says Rabbi Lezabin, now it continues straight off where we left off in the previous Mishnah. Remember the previous, well, yeah, it is part of the, the previous Mishnah was discussing watering your field on Cholamoid. And remember we made a distinction between a base Hashluchin and a Sore base Hashluchin and Sore base Habal. Remember Sore base Hashluchin was a field that requires irrigation. It's not watered by rain. The example Rashi gave like a field on a slope. The rain, even if it does rain there, it just runs off. So it doesn't sit there. So that's why you would need to irrigate it. Um, it needs the irrigation to survive. Whereas a Sore base Habal, a field that you can rely on Watering. So now it seems this mission is discussing a sode base habal, a field that's sorry that's watered by rain, and granted, it, watering it, irrigating it, I with the stream or whatever will improve it. It's not essential to the survival of the crops. So you're allowed to draw water from tree to tree. If a pool of water gathers around a tree, you can make a small furrow from it to another tree. As long as you don't water the whole field. Again, this is because remember, you're not allowed to water a sode base abal. You're not allowed to go to that extra effort to water the sode base abal. Then he says a second halacha. A field that is, I'm going to translate it how Rashi explains it. A field that is not constantly watered before the festival, you're not allowed to water it on the festival. If you're the sort of person who waters your fields daily, okay, then you would be allowed to water it on the festival, on Cholamoid. But if it's a field that you only water once in a while, then you're not allowed to water it on Cholamoid because you can easily just leave it. It doesn't, it's not used to a lot of water. You clearly don't think it needs a lot of water. Therefore, you just have to leave it to after Yom Tov. The Chachomim Matirim Bezeh Bezeh, the Chachomim permit both cases. I, they say, not only are you allowed to water the whole base Abal, that's the one halacha, and then the second halacha, you're also allowed to water a field that you don't often water on Cholamoid. Now, interesting enough, the Rashi points out, this is Rebbe Meir. I don't know if you remember from the first stuff, our Mishnah was a stricter opinion. Rebbe Meir says you're allowed to do anything on Cholamoid that will improve your profits. So just improving, you're allowed to go to the effort of watering your field if it will improve your field. Okay, now let's go on to the Gemara. Now regarding the first ruling that you can't water the whole field, Omar of Yehuda Mutar. If it's a field that is generally very moist, then you are allowed to water it. It seems, yeah, so if you have a field that is generally very lush and moist and has a lot of water, then for whatever reason dries out, even though generally you're not allowed to water sorry Beisabal, in this case you could. And Tanya Namihachi, we have a price which teaches the same thing. I'm going to add in a few words. Rebbe Lezben Yaakov, Omer Rebbe Lezben Yaakov says, Keshe Omru Asul Hashkos Pemoid, Lo Omru Ela Bezroim Shaloi Shosu Milif Neachag. This that they said you're not allowed to water your field on Cholamoid is with grain, 
that was not um, watered before the festival. It doesn't get constant water. But if it's Rome that was constantly watered before the festival, you, you even allow to water it on the festival, if it was a very moist field and for whatever reason dried, then also you allow to water it. Carrying on, you're not allowed to water a usually dry field on the festival. If you have a field that you let the plants grow in it, even though it's quite dry, you're not allowed to water it on the Cholamoid. The Chachomim permit it in both cases. Omar Ravina, Ravina says, Shmamina, hai tarbitza shori le tarbutze bechulo demoid. If you have a little garden, like a little vegetable patch, you're allowed to sprinkle water on cholamoid. Sote gorid, what's my timer? What's the reason you're not allowed to water a stay gorid? Tafilu mashfile chorfo, because Oh, yeah, what's the leniency to water it? Or to water this dry field according to the opinion that says you are allowed to? To afla mashfile kharfa, because you can make a crop that would only grow and be ready later on in the season. If you water it more, it will be ready early in the season. So hakanami afli mashfile kharfa, so so to here in the vegetable patch, you can water it to make it grow earlier. So just one interesting. Um, Yeah, so interesting what we're doing, what we seem to be saying here is obviously fully watering your field is a lot of effort. Just getting water from a tree to another tree, not such a big effort. And sprinkling water over your field, minimal effort. Which is very interesting. We seem to be saying, again, we're weighing up the benefit of what you're doing. How much money is it saving you or how much money could you make versus how much effort. If with just a minimal effort you can help yourself a lot, then you would be allowed to do a minimal effort. It's where it's something like watering a field properly, which takes significant effort, that you would not be allowed to use it. And remember, we learned on the first mission where it's Tirchi Yaseira, where it's excessive effort, well then even to save a loss, according to many of these opinions, you would not be allowed to do it. So again, it's, just, it's come turned in my mind, it's turned into a very difficult calculation of the the loss uh yeah what's it the cost or benefit you would get from the malacha you're going to do versus the amount of effort uh, insignificant effort for a lot of gain would be permitted huge amount of effort even for a significant loss would not be permitted okay let's carry on to nurabonen marbits in sodelavon beshvies you're allowed to water a grain sode beisabal in the shmitiyah Aval lobamoid, but not on the cholamoid. Now, why are you allowed to water this field on the Shemitah of oh, Vahotanya Mabitzim Bay? Well, first question we ask is, Vahot. Yeah, the reason is because remember we learned what melachas are, is, are forbidden in the Shemitah Year, It's a select few. It's, uh, what's it, harvesting and. Oh, my mind's gone blank. And we learned it right at the beginning of the Masechta. Not the Oh, sowing and harvesting. Those are the primary, those are the only two Da'oraisas. But watering a field would only be Isidra Bonin. So therefore the rabbis waived the Isidra Bonin 
for this insignificant labor that has significant um, uh, positivity, positive results connected to it. So that's, uh, so that's why you would be allowed to sprinkle water on your field in the Shemitah year again, because it's only Yisra Drabon, and the Rabbi said the gain is huge, so you're allowed to do it. Ton Rabbon Amat Bits in Stay Laman Bishfis, Yah, Moed. Of a hot tanya, but we learned in the brisa, mar bitzim bein b'moid bein b'shvius. You're allowed to sprinkle in your field, whether on cholamoid or whether in the shmita. Yes. So Amar Avuna loikasha hor Rebbe Lezer ben Yaakov hor Rabbanon. This is Rebbe Lezer ben Yaakov, and this is the Rabbanon. Let's just read another to the Mishnah, and then I'll explain an interesting point. Tanya irich mar bitzim sodel avon erev shvius kedai sheyotza yorokas b'shvius. You're allowed to water a sodel avon on erev shvius, so that your vegetables will grow on shvius. You're allowed to water, you're allowed to sprinkle water in your field so that your vegetables will be growing after shvies. So the sprinkling, which is a very insignificant watering and minor effort, I don't know if minor effort's not really to do with shvies, but at least for Cholomoid, you could do on Erev shvies or on shvies as long as it's not for the Shemitah year. I mean, Erev Shvius, what, you're watering your harvest before Shvius, which this touches on an interesting question. It seems, so we see that there's a problem for you to water your garden on the Shemitah year, but there's less of a problem um, um, but it's not such a problem if it's before Shemitah or the even scenarios where it's just sprinkling that you would be allowed to do. What about having timers set that it does it automatically? Now we know by Shabbos, the halacha is, you're allowed to start a melacha on Erev Shabbos, even if it carries on into Shabbos. That's why you can put raw, ch- I don't want to go into all the technical details, but let's assume you can put a raw cholent to cook just before Shabbos. Oh, it's going to continue before Shabbos. You've done the melacha before Shabbos and you leave it. Okay, remember there are lots of... Uh, periphery conditions to do that but that would be the basic halacha similarly the actual example it gives is you can open the stream that it runs through your field watering your field throughout Shabbos again you're not allowed to open the stream on Shabbos because that's considered watering on Shabbos but you can open up your stream on Erev Shabbos that it waters on Shabbos now that would imply that if your sprinkler is set I don't know to set to go I don't know once every second day or maybe it will turn out on Yom Tov. Or maybe you set your sprinkler to go on every day. That's fine because you did the melacha on Erev Shabbos. So even though it waters your garden, your sprinkler system waters your garden, maybe there's that permission on Shabbos. Um, look, you could argue that there it's actually, it's not continuing from Erev Shabbos. It's starting on Shabbos because the sprinklers weren't on that. It's cont- If your sprinkler started on, on at just before candlelighting and continued into Shabbos, that would definitely be okay. <coughs> but the question is, here to have it actually start on Shabbos might be a bit stricter, but they're good grounds to permit it. So that's Shabbos. But by Shemitah year, there's an added concern that it might not be permitted to set something before the Shemitah year to take place on Shemitah year, because there's the Pasuk says you have to rest your land. I on Shabbos, there's no... There's no source that you have to rest your land or rest your kalim. Your fire and your pot can continue cooking because there's no mitzvah to rest your pot on Shabbos. Again, you can't cook and you can't do the malachas, but for your pot to just continue cooking, that's fine. But on the Shemitah year, it says Shabbos, um, what's it? Shabbos, Shabbos, Son, Yel, Oret. 
It shall be a rest day for the ground. There might even be better psukim, clearer psukim, but that's one puzzle. The ground has to rest. So regardless of when you're actually going to set it, that it takes place, if it's being watered, it's not resting, so that might still be a problem. Let's start the next sugi, the next mission. It's not so... It's not so difficult. So Tzadines Ha'ishos Ve'esach Boros Misodei Ha'ilan Misodei Ha'lovan Kedar Kobamoid Uveshviyas You're allowed to trap issues we'll see something like moles um, and, and rats from the orchard or of grain field in the normal manner in the on Cholamoid and in the Shemitah The It should be changed for Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yehuda says Mistay ilan kedarko in a fruit tree in the normal manner. Mistay lomon shaloi kedarko, but in a non-fruit tree shaloi kedarko in an unusual manner. Very interestingly, obviously it's because they damage your plants, so you're going to suffer a loss. The damage they cause in a grain field is less is less than the damage they'll cause in an orchard, and therefore in a grain field you have to do it in an unusual manner. A new a new criteria we're being introduced to is sometimes there's malocha that you wouldn't be allowed to do unless you do it in an unusual manner. So that's to keep in mind, remember we're trying to get out the principles of what would define malocha, that's mutar osar and yomtev. We've just added in a new one, which is doing the malocha in an unusual manner. Okay, umakrinas apirza bamoid, you can fix the fence on on the festival Uvishvias uh, yes, I should highlight when it says moid, we generally translate it as festival, but as we've seen very clearly the term is referring to Cholamoid. So you can fix the fence on Cholamoid Uvishvias and in the Schmitter Uv you can actually build it up properly. So since Makrin sounds more like patch it up and Boine would be build it properly. My issues, what's this animal called the issue? So Amr Yehuda says it's this creature that doesn't have eyes. which only say a mole. Omar Rava Bar Yishmol, the Itaimer of Yemen, Bar Shamli, my crow. Where do we see this referred to in the Possex? It says, He will disappear, fade away like a running snail. Or a, I guess a, what would you call it? Sliding snail. And stumble and fall like this Aishas, like this Aishas that has never seen the sun. So that's what we see. Aishas refers to an animal that doesn't see. You can trap these rats and moles from your grain field in the normal manner. And you can destroy antholes. It says, How do you destroy an antol? It says, You bring earth from one antol and put it by that antol and the ants will fight and kill each other. And that's how you destroy it. Or it seems the, un, the sand that they're not used to will cause them to choke. But either way, that's how you destroy it. So now we're just going to qualify when does this work? When does it help to take the hole from one ant hole to the next? It's got to be a clear case where they won't recognize, where the ants aren't familiar with that sand or those ants. So Omar Rav Yaimar Baal Shamli Mishmei Dabai Avuhu Dekoi Basrei Avreinar Betray Avreinar This is where they're on two opposite sides of the river. Vuhu Deleike Gishra Vuhu Deleike Gemala Vuhu Deleike Mitzora And there's no bridge, planks or ropes going between the between the two sides of the river. If there are any of these ways to transport between the two sides of the rivers, the ants would have used it and they'd be familiar with those that sand or that ant that you're bringing from the other ant hole and it won't cause them trouble. Ah, oh, ad kama, until how far do they have to be? Now, interesting, how far away from each side of the river do they have to be? 
Or the question could be, how, if there's no river between the two antholes, how far do they have to be? Ad parsa, a parsa, which we say is four mil, which is about four kilometers. So that's how far they have to be to say that this way of destroying the antholes would work. But as we saw, these would be, you would be allowed to do these on Cholomoyed.